everybody, and welcome back to yet another Pink Bike Podcast. I'm Mike Levy, and last week we were talking about headset cable routing, everybody's current favorite subject. I think we can all agree that it's not exactly ready for prime time yet, but Casimir and I did disagree about whether it could be worthwhile. I think it could make a bike look amazing, and it could work if brands made it way better, Whereas Kaz thinks that it should just go away, period, and never come back. And that sort of leads us into today's topic. What are your mountain bike priorities and why do you have them? So I enjoy working on bikes, even when it's a shitty job. And I love how headset cable routing can make a bike look so clean and simple. Now, obviously, first and foremost, I just want my bike to work well. I think we could all agree with that. But I do also want it to look amazing. And what I got out of that podcast last week is Kaz doesn't really care as much how his bike looks. And maybe he's kind of grumpy. So today I've got Casimir and Matt Beer today because we're going to talk about our mountain bike priorities and where they might have come from. We're going to talk about how that might affect our bike selection and our rides, even how we got to what we're doing today. Uh, but before we do that though, I'm supposed to start these things with some sort of semi-related question. So, Casimir, you are out shopping for a new bike. You've got a good amount of money because our consulting firm, Mike Bikes, is making a killing by telling brands that headset cable routing is the future, so you can buy whatever bike you want. What is the one feature that is sure to turn you off from buying a bicycle, though? Hmm. That's a tough one because a lot of features can be changed. Uh, let's see. If I was just buying a bike, what would I? I'm have? not. I'm not talking like bad geo or anything like that. Let's just assume the bike is a good bike, but yeah, you know, it has a feature. Or maybe it's missing a feature that you want. I think electronically controlled suspension. I think that's something that I wouldn't buy <laughs> yeah, a bike that has that. Yeah, like it. Do, it is getting better and it does work, and there are people that enjoy it. But for me, I think. That wouldn't be in the realm of bikes I'd be looking at, no matter how well Mike's bikes is doing. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that makes sense. We're going to talk a lot about that actually later on in the show. What about you, Matt? What What is one feature that is either sure to turn you off, or maybe you found a bike that you like, but it doesn't have like the one thing that you're looking for? That's also a tricky one, but I think that would come down to the bike having something that's proprietary. So maybe it's like a specific tool that you have to undo the bottom bracket with or work on the shock in there in thereabouts or uh, maybe some integrated seat post some kind yeah. of head tube thingy yeah. yeah those things you know you don't necessarily run into problems often but when it does happen you have to go through one specific channel like the bike's brand and, and their serviceability and that could probably do it for me yeah what about headset cable routing if let's just say, let's go back to that Scott for a minute. Let's just say you really like how that bike rides. Would that routing be enough to turn you off? Since you weren't around for last week's show, would that routing be enough to turn you off of buying that bike if you liked everything else about it? No, I, d I discussed this with some other friends a little while ago. And I mean, how often are you changing brake lines, cable routing, like the derailleur housing you can pull through with those double-ended barbs? So like, it's yep. not really that big of a deal to me, uh, but I can definitely see how it would be a headache for a shop, somebody who's working on like four or five of these bikes in one day, you know, that, that could be a definite pain in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, there are two things on my list. One, 
Uh, you probably won't be too surprised to hear. It's freaking idler pulleys. I know that certain bikes need them, and there are obviously upsides to them, but I don't care if the idler pulley works really well today. You know, like there will be a time in the near future where it won't be working nearly as well as a bike that doesn't have an idler pulley. So having said that, though, I have ridden some good idler pulley bikes lately. So um, yeah, the other thing is... Your derailleur pulleys usually work all right. Yeah, no, you know it's a different thing, it's though. It's just one more derailleur pulley. No, it's not. No, it is not, Kaz. I know it's not really a different when, thing. Okay, aside from narrow-wide pulley wheels that constantly pop out of alignment, um, idler pulleys, they they gunk up and they, they cause way more trouble than a derailleur pulley. And I will admit that, especially that contrary we rode, it was invisible. Yeah. But it's not going to be invisible three months from now when it's freaking nasty outside. You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know. I've written some good ones too. Some aren't good, but I think they've... They're not the end of the world, but that's okay. That's why you wouldn't have an idler bike. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? You wouldn't buy a bike with electronically controlled suspension, and I wouldn't buy a bike with an idler pulley. Those are two yeah. interesting differences. Yeah. We'd be right doing there. different things in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so, eh? Uh, the other thing for me is a bike with too much adjustability. Even if it ends up getting the angles that I really like, the fact that it has all these, like, flip chips and different settings and holes everywhere. Number one, I see nothing but trouble, even though most of them are pretty dialed and quiet these days. Like most of the stuff isn't creaky anymore, Kaz, and the bolts don't break and, you know, it's trouble-free, but I just don't like it. I think it's silly. I think it's great. I think that new, that Trek Fuel EX that we had (laughs) in that Stump Jumper Evo, like those bikes are great and they have like an actual, you're the one who's years and years Mm -hmm. have been complaining about things only having like 0.3 degrees of adjustment. And now there's bikes with a degree positive or minus or more, and you don't want that either. No, I I think that if it's going to have the adjustment, I would like to see it have a a wide range. That makes sense. But for me personally, like um, let's just say a bike that has nine different geometry and suspension settings via chips that you would like rotate 35 different directions like (laughs) that to me you know and i'm not picking on them i'm just saying i i don't you can though i think that's silly we can say i don't think ride nine is useful they should just or it could be useful but there's too many like i think it should be bigger jumps you can make ride four or doesn't one of them have like a ride yeah yeah ride four yeah Yeah, yeah, not as many adjustments yeah Yeah. i think ride four makes sense i just some of them just seem like you're just yeah i don't know I didn't want to. I didn't want to call them out because I feel like I pick on the ride nine thing all the time. But it works really well, and it's usually, it's like quiet and blah 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 all the things. But I just that to me that is a that's a turnoff. You know, that's a yeah. that's a turnoff. Well, I mean, if you look at the Stumpy Evo, there's even more adjustments on that. But mm-hmm. Specialized and Rocky Mountain for their ride four, they've both done really good jobs at outlining what the adjustments do on each position. So you can on the Specialized. Geo Finder, for example, you can pick by Geo if you're really in tune with that, and it'll give you those extra numbers that you're looking for. Or you can kind of go in and do it by a, a user case, and this is how I ride, this is where I ride, this is the type of terrain, and it'll kind of pick those out for you. So I think there are a lot of adjustments out there, and people do like to choose bikes based on what options they have within the frame, but it can definitely be overbearing for some customers. Yeah, it, it it makes complete sense from a company standpoint. Like, they're getting two and a half or three bikes out of that out of that Evo. You know, you can. It's amazing the the level of adjustability. But I'm just saying, in a perfect world, I just would like to have no adjustments at all. So, anyways, 
Canyon is proud to present a new chapter for steering dynamics. Keep It Stable technology, aka KISS, actively centers your steering to increase stability and combat wheel flop. Fully integrated into their Spectral 29 CF trail bike, KISS is completely maintenance-free and can be adjusted to suit rider and terrain. Learn more about Keep It Stable technology on canyon.com. Uh, Kaz, tell us about the news on the website over the last week. All right. <laughs> if you can get to the website. As we're, yeah, <laughs> as we're recording this, the website's not working, but I'll pull the news out of my head where it's stored currently and uh, see what we had. So uh, yesterday, the review of the new Santa Cruz Nomad came went up. Um, I wrote that review. I was on that bike for most of the summer. Raced the EWS 100 with it, did a bunch of other big rides and good times. So, yeah, that review is up there. Tell, Cass, tell me what's new about that thing and uh, tell me, I wish they were more exciting. You know, I wish they, they, they work so well. <laughs> they work so well. We're you need like talk an idler pulley on it or something? Bikes. Yeah, it needs more idler <laughs> pulleys, but tell, tell me <laughs> yeah. what's new and tell me what you liked about that bike. Yeah, I mean, the biggest new thing is that now it has a 29 inch front wheel. So it's gone mullet. Um, it's basically the really similar to the mega tower but it has a 27.5 inch rear wheel i've ridden both bikes and i prefer the mullet setup on the the nomad um over the mega tower just kind of feels like that wheel is more out of the way especially in the steeps like the, the nomad's super fun for kind of carving down really steep um steep trails just i don't know i found it an easier bike to ride than the mega tower for my mm -hmm. for my taste so really enjoyed it um yeah it's good they've done a great job with the suspension on it too like in years past the nomad has kind of been a bike that just felt a little almost like it didn't have quite as much travel as it actually did it could be a little bit firmer i'd say this is more i'm talking more about like two generations ago now like the last generation yeah. was just 27.5 inch wheels was actually pretty soft that was almost like soft and felt like an all mountain bike where this new one kind of hits like the sweet spot of being like a nice platform um so you can really push feels good at high speeds but it's also pretty easy and manageable at slower speeds at least as long as you're in a proper terrain like this wouldn't be your um you know wreck path bike but it is good aggressive all-rounder with plenty of travel for whatever yeah um yeah so that reviews up that's a good bike expensive bike uh that's something we've kind of noticed santa cruz's prices continue to rise but you know if you have the money it is a well constructed frame and all the features and details are are taken care of and sorted so i think that is one thing that if you're going to pay all that money you want those to be taken care of and i think that is something they that they do uh do a good job there with um, yeah, moving on. We also had We Are One announced, announced their new convergence carbon rims and wheels. So we saw these back at Sea Otter. Basically, the rim, the carbon rim, kind of looks like it's got it's twisted. Um, looks like someone twisted the center part portion of it. And basically, what that's designed to do is have the looks funny. Yeah, I, I think it looks cool. Once tires are on it, it, it they look kind of cool. People notice them. Um, but it basically it just makes it that so where the spoke nipples are poking through, it's just a better angle to the hub, um, designed to help help with durability. Aluminum rims, they used to drill the spoke holes at an angle so that the nipple was could just be in line straight. I wonder mm -hmm. why that couldn't be done. It just seems, I mean, I guess that's a question for Dustin. They make some pretty cool stuff, so there's yeah. probably a reason for it. I think if you can accomplish it in the layup, then it's almost even easier. Like carbon doesn't like to be drilled as easily as drilled. aluminum. Yeah. From what I like, understand, I mean, they still do drill through it, but sometimes... I know this layup process might make it a little better. Yeah, definitely something. I've got a set for review, so I'll dig in a little further and um, kind of get to the bottom of all the reasons behind that design. They also do some cool 
um, new carbon layup technology rather than they have this fiber from um, basically has x-axis fibers so rather than the fibers going two directions they're kind of like three-dimensional basically um, and that's designed to increase the strength so mm-hmm. it's almost like a different layer in there that they put in, in certain key areas which again i'd like to find out where they're including that layer but they say it's 32 percent stronger than their union rims um so and those rims are already had a weren't those good already reputation. indestructible yeah they had a good <laughs> reputation like i mean that is one thing you do see a lot of people saying these rims are indestructible they're not like they can break like so anyone that's out there says they can't break they definitely can break yeah. but they do have a pretty good track record and uh a lot of happy customers from what we can tell so um, yeah but if they're making them even stronger that's sweet too so i'll keep smashing them and see i did case a big jump yesterday and they didn't break so that was good um nice yeah yeah it hurts so much there's like slow speed dirt now like the dirt was like normal speed and then i hit this patch of super slow speed because i had that like frozen hoarfrost stuff and it felt like somebody just put both my yeah. brakes on and then i was in the air and was like this is not gonna be a good thing <laughs> like i uh it hurt yeah what bike were you on uh a stump jumper evo okay yeah, yeah. but then it, i mean everything was fine except my private parts but they're sore um, did you ride away i rode away but i was like basically it felt like um it's kind of like i sat on the rear wheel and then like jammed my pelvis forward into the back of the seat and just like rode like that for way too long so it was not comfortable and it was like oh nice yeah and it was like did 30- you pull your pants down <laughs> no but i had to pull them down after to make sure everything was where it was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> it was when I was like, oh, check and make sure. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. either way, so doing some <laughs> intense wheel testing out there these days. Um, yeah, moving on from that, we had Starling Cycles added some adjustability and tweaked the geometry of their bikes. Uh, you know, Starling's that small outfit out of the UK it makes steel single pivots that we had one in the field test last year. Uh, pretty cool bikes. But now they've made it so that the frames can take different shock sizes more easily, and that allows you to really adjust the amount of travel. So you could kind of turn your trail bike into a more enduro type bike if you wanted. Um, and then they adjusted the geometry a little bit too. So cool to see them just kind of still, you know, fine tuning. The design stays relatively the same, pretty simple, but, um, again, kind of those bikes are ones that you hopefully would buy and have for a long time. So we'll move on to Boone Technologies, iconic twist arms. So these things were around, I want to say like late nineties. Is that right? You guys remember the Boone twist? I think it's the yeah. late 90s. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah, so they're kind of cool looking. Again, another, if you got these and they would match your We Are One rims, you could have twisted everything. Maybe we should make the most twisted bike. Oh. <laughs> There's got to be a thing there somewhere. That's a good idea. One of those yeah. thought experiments. Uh-huh. Everything twisted. Um, we need a twisted yeah. frame. Yeah, there's that one that somewhere, I think in that Slack Randoms, there's that one made of like little nuts welded together, which is all nuts welded yeah. to make a frame. So maybe there's a twisted version out there. But either way, uh, Boone is now making their twist cranks in a titanium version um and they in the article matt you wrote the article but it doesn't sound like there's any real reason except that it looks cool is that what you could what you took from it for the twisting <laughs> that's all i need i know <laughs> uh i think they were a little bit lighter okay um i'd have to double tap yeah so they twist it and they kind of like hold its shape and then it and they're not cheap they're made in the usa made over in georgia and they do cost almost 1100 dollars. so again uh, expensive kind of up there with King Creek's E wings. Um, those are also in that same price bracket. All right. We're going to move from news to questions. And these are all questions from last week's podcast. This is, this is more of a comment. This is from Bryce Piwick, Piwick, Bryce. I forgot how to pronounce your last name, Matt. Do you know? Piwick, I think. 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Anyways, he says, to be perfectly honest, while they might look cleaner from afar, most of these through headset cable solutions look like more of an eyesore to me up close. Not to mention with the trickle-down technology. Um, he goes on to say that in the next few years, more bikes are going to have wireless shifting and droppers and, and that kind of stuff. But Bryce makes a super good point when he says that, yeah, a lot of these bikes like do look clean from 10 feet away, but then you get up close and they're not quite as clean as you would think. Would do, would you agree with them, Cass? Yeah, I agree. Because like, once you do look closer and see how all the cables are jammed into the headset, it's not as clean, but... Um... Yeah, I don't know. It's, again, it's kind of comes down to aesthetics rather than a, a performance or performance enhancer on the bike. But yeah, we'll kind of see where it goes. Yeah, he he's right though. He's kind of like he made the point they're just moving the complication to somewhere else. Like the complication is just more complicated now, where you can't see it. It's like you know what it is. They're sweeping the pile of dirt under the rug into mm-hmm. your headset. <laughs> exactly <laughs> into your I bearings. Like analogy. Yeah. Anyways, this is along the same same subject. This is from CrossMax. He says Formula has a brake hose connector called the Speed Lock or something that allows the hose to be disconnected and reconnected without introducing air into the system. He says it should be a mandatory spec on bikes with routing through the headset. Not a terrible idea, eh, Matt? Yeah, it's a great idea in theory, but a lot of the frames, their internal tubes run so tight that once you cinch the hydraulic hose off with a, an olive that olive clasp is larger than the brake hose and it can't fit back through the frame so it yeah. might work through some of the headset components but usually doesn't work through the frame so you have to cut the hose anyways yeah yeah good idea but i think there'd have to be some some other changes so anyways let's move on to our discussion uh if we're going to talk priorities there's obviously a few different avenues that we could go down riding style or disciplines being the big one uh, and that might include what you're hoping to get out of the ride and that's going to be a factor in your bike priorities as well and i think it also goes the opposite direction so i made a list of some things that might affect your priorities um the biggest factor though guys might be where you live and the terrain, because that's going to determine the terrain, the weather, but it's also going to determine some bigger picture things like your health care and your living situation, of course. What other what other factors would go into that? Your bank account? I mean, like, you know, like what you're earning, <laughs> depending on where yeah. your priorities lie. You know, if you're if you're a shop rat and you just, you know, don't have to support any kids or any other expenses except your bike and you're just living in a, you know, apartment with 12 other dudes. Yeah. You, your priors are a little different than someone that actually has a family or just trying to like maybe save some money rather than blow everything on the new set of tires. Yeah. Yeah. I remember growing up and it was exactly that. Like I lived with a buddy and all we did was freaking ride bikes and work when we had to. And we had like a bag of expired hot dog buns in the fridge and a thing of mustard and some wieners and a bottle of coke (laughs) that was about it uh what about you matt was it like that for you growing up too yeah definitely progressed quite quickly once i got into a little scene uh locally and met some of the dudes that were building bigger jumps and then got into like riding rock faces and building their own trails and that just you know totally grew and grew faster and faster but uh yeah definitely started out like most kids and first kind of ambitions were just like to build sweet dirt jumps and 
follow them around the neighborhood and that kind of thing. So yeah, it can definitely come down to like proximity and friends groups and, and what you have to ride, whether that's the bike mm-hmm. itself or the terrain and the access to that. Yeah. Now that both of you guys are married and have five children and working three jobs and all that and making mortgage payments and loans and credit cards and all of those things, do you miss the days when you used to live in a, in a house with your buddies and just ride every day? Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, things haven't changed too much. <laughs> yeah, not so much. Yeah. But we all, we all, I think we all have friends that it has changed for them a lot. Like life happens in your priorities change, right? Yeah, I've definitely seen that over the last few years of, as I've grown through my mid thirties, but, um, I've started, started to feel that pressure myself and whether that happens naturally or just kind of tapped out on, you know, different riding goals or exploring new areas and kind of realizing what's important in my life. And now that the racing is kind of toned down for me, it's more about the experience overall. And that mm-hmm. comes with, you know, taking less chances and just having fun at the end of the day with your friends. So I can kind of see how that can evolve for other riders. And they're looking for different different aspirations in life than just uh, going out and get Sandy. Matt Beer, soul rider. <laughs> <laughs> rider yeah i mean that's always what mountain biking has been to me and and maybe most people is mountains right like you're out there exploring uh you're tackling this crazy wild terrain on a on a bicycle that was first intended for transportation on on roads but yeah. uh yeah everybody has different priorities i guess so what what are some of yours uh i mean riding's still definitely a priority but i think one thing that i have learned is that I used to think that if I didn't ride for like three days or something, that I would, you know, start to suck even more. Like I would forget how to ride or I don't know, or I would lose my fitness or something. And I think realizing that riding doesn't, it could still be the number one priority. It just doesn't have to be the number one priority all the time. And that can, I don't know, that can stoke you out too. You know what I mean? For sure. And as we say this, or as we discuss in this podcast, we're, uh, about to uh, come down with sixty centimeters of snow. What potentially? Yeah, sixty. Like <laughs> yeah, for Squamish. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> what are your priorities now? <laughs> Get that sim fired up. Yeah. <laughs> so Swift. it's a good, oh, yeah, good yeah. thing. He's gonna, yeah, heavy swifting. <laughs> oh. um, I think I think another thing that affects people's riding priorities, probably maybe even the biggest factor might be whether you ride for social reasons or whether you ride just because you like to ride bikes. Now, obviously it's a mix for pretty much all of us. It's, it's not just like, I just like riding bikes, fuck everybody, or I only ride bikes in a group. But I also know a lot of people that would put in 200 days a year on their own and have just as much fun. Um, Henry just wrote that thing where he exclaimed how much he hates group rides kaz where are you on that front are you a social rider like how big of a factor is that for you when you go riding um yeah no i'm definitely more of a solo rider like i've always been even just when i started riding there wasn't a lot of people to ride with so it's just kind of how it started like i like the idea of being alone in the woods and 
getting lost and exploring all that kind of stuff. But in these days, yeah, most of my rides, it's there alone or with two to, yeah, usually like one to three other people at the most. I don't go on huge group rides, but um, I don't need the motivation of a group to get out the door basically. So like if no one's around to ride, I'll just, I just totally happy to go ride by myself. It's not like, I'm like, Oh, no one wants to ride with me. I'm not going. It's, it's more like I'll go for a ride and if people join, that's fine too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd say more like mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me if I don't have a group to ride with where I know a lot of people do rarely ride solo. You know, there's people that want that whole social aspect and they're, um, I think with priority, it almost depends on kind of like what mountain biking is in your life as if it's uh for some people, it's almost a social activity, just kind of something you do kind of like somebody might play yeah. around a golf once in a while with a buddy or I think, I don't know how to play golf, but I think that's a thing or like they might go play tennis just once in a while just to like catch up and chat where other people it's more of a lifestyle such a silly term but it almost is you know like it's a big part of like your what you base your life around i think um so it's kind of like two aspects depending on how yeah it's almost like recreational or like part of your what you do basically Uh, i think for a lot of us it's definitely more than just like a casual recreational pastime it's kind of a big part of why we're here yeah yeah i would agree with that matt if you did 200 rides in a year how many of those are by yourself I've never really thought about it in terms of numbers, but, uh, yeah, I would say every second ride is probably Mm -hmm. solo. And those are usually much different rides. There may be an hour and a half or or two at the most, um, where I just, you know, especially these days where, yeah, it's become more than a pastime. It's, it's become a job. So I'm, I'm out testing and fiddling with the bike. I might repeat a section or I might just session something for, for fun, but yeah, the, the day-to-day rides are definitely as frequent as big group rides or just riding with two or three people. Um, it, it definitely varies and fluctuates depending on the weather, who's around during the week. Yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of factors there, but I definitely don't mind going on solo rides and they usually turn out to be as much fun in terms of the riding, but obviously the social factor just appears there. So yeah, depends what yeah. you're looking to get out of it. And if that's part of the pastime or if it's uh, just a bonus on top. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I would agree. I'd also argue that a lot of the people that tend to ride by themselves more often than not, or maybe I should say just like, don't have a problem riding by themselves, enjoy riding by themselves. They tend to be hammerheads because they're, a lot of times, like, I don't mean in a literal program, but they're just like on their own program where it's like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this. And yeah, I guess I'll invite you if you want to come. Do you know, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to go do totally. this. Feel free to come if you want. And I feel like when I send out ride invitations to the like two or three people that they might go out to like once every 10 rides, they end up being that kind of invite, you know, like. This is what I'm going to go do. Feel free to come, but I'm not changing anything, which sort of sums up. I mean, I bet Kaz, you send a lot of texts like that too, which sort of sums up our riding perspective. Like we're going to go do it. Feel free to come if you want. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be out there no matter what. And also, and also with like kind of back to the group riding thing, when I ride, I tend to not stop very often. Um, it's kind of more of it. Like you just kind of keep yeah. moving through, get the miles, just kind of, I find it really not really hard, but it is hard if you go on a ride where you're just constantly starting and stopping just to kind of find the flow of it. So I like, if I'm going to go on a big ride or even a short ride, it's nice to just barely stop, you know, you can stop quick to eat a little snack or something, but it's not like, yeah, you're not stopping and, you know, shooting the breeze at every single intersection. It's kind of more like go and do your ride and then go home and 
and that's it. So, yeah. Again, kind of priorities. Like again, if, yeah. if it's more of a social thing for you, you're maybe one of those people that's drinking beer in the woods and hanging out. And it's just kind of, you cover five miles in five hours, you know, like that's not my thing, but for some people it is. Shoot and, me. Yeah, Shoot no, that's me. not, I'm not into that at all, but plenty of people do. And, and that's fine. They kind of stay closer to the parking lot and the trailhead too. So you just go a little further out and you're further away from people and kind of deeper back where you don't, yeah, kind of easier to be alone the further away you go from the trailhead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny too, how the people that we ride with, of course, over time, you know, the group whittles down and it gets smaller and you end up only riding with people that are on sort of that same wavelength as you. And then you go out for someone, you go out with someone who is it and they like, they're stopping to take freaking camera phone photos all the time and like talk about things and like we're texting how's such and such going like who cares dude do a big skit i don't know i just <laughs> it's not me yeah. <laughs> not me i guess there's definitely a lot of distractions out there these days between technology and bike faff and the less you get out there and do it i feel like the more inefficient you are at getting set up getting out there getting riding covering ground yep. so that makes sense if you're riding solo that you can get a little bit more done in the day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Another thing too, I think that if you're going to be riding with people, you end up riding for the most part, a lot of times like the same category of bike as those, like your bike priorities are reflected by the people that you ride with. So um, before I moved to Squamish, I rode with a lot of people that spent their time on silly short travel bikes, you know, and so that was sort of my bike and we would modify them and make them more capable. And, um, Kaz, you live and ride in Bellingham with people that ride a lot of big travel bikes. So you're not going to end up on something with less travel. No, we, but you, at the same you think, time, no, you're wrong there. Like, you always think I'm on these big travel bikes all the time. Am I? Yeah. You always think I'm Mr. Enduro here. You we are. are. I'm not though. I ride everything. You say that. <laughs> I say that I ride everything. I do. It depends on the bikes, but no, it's funny though. Cause sometimes I'll just, I'll have a buddy roll over to ride and I'll just look at what bike he has. And I'm like, okay, it's that kind of ride. And I'll grab like a bike to match. Like, so some yeah. say someone rolls over on an Epic. I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to grow, grab the Nomad probably, you know, like obviously I'm spoiled because I have test bikes I can pull from. Not everybody has like multiple bikes, but usually I'd say throughout the year, I at least have a big bike and a little bike, you know? So like something in that shorter travel bracket and one in a bigger travel bracket. And it just depends on what kind of ride it is. Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I adjust my gear pick depending on the kind of ride we're going to go on. I just picture you out there on 180 free ride bikes all the time. Like do big rides, pedaling lots, but just wearing a switchblade and doing freaking wheelie drops or whatever you do. Most of my rides these days are on like the stumpy Evo or like a Trek fuel EX, those kind of like 140, 150 bikes kind of the do everything kind of good Bellingham bikes. And I had that spur for all of last year that I put a ton of miles on that spur. That's not an enduro bike, even though you can ride it. Like well, one. I'm sorry for pigeonholing yeah, you, Kaz. Don't put You're me in a corner. Obviously offended. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> it's really starting to feel like winter around here. And I know that most people think of mountain biking when they think of trail forks. But there's also a ton of features and layers geared towards winter activities like fat biking, Nordic skiing, snowshoeing, and even snowmobiling. Right now, you can get global access to the app with 30% off for our final sale of the holidays. If you're heading out for fat biking or Nordic skiing, you can use the snow grooming layer to find trails nearby. You can also check out this snow forecast right in the app. 
see slope angle and the avalanche forecast and filter the map for whatever kind of winter activity you've got planned for the day. And of course, you get favorite features like the popularity heat map and trail reports. This 30% off deal is for Trail Forks Pro with Outside Plus. So you also get all the goods from the outside network. Unlimited digital content, films and TV shows, and expert-led online courses. Get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies without worrying about shipping it. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com slash podcast. Do, uh, do either of you ever, or have you ever, chosen a bike specifically because it went against what everybody else was riding? So I'm going to, I feel like this is foolish. I was being foolish, but I'm going to admit, I'll admit that I rode hardtails for years when my other friends were riding downhill bikes, specifically just to be like the counterpoint. Do you know what I mean? Have you guys, have you guys ever rolled like that? Or is that, I know it's stupid, but yeah, no, can Matt? you explain that a little more? I don't quite understand that. Well, you it's just a silly ego different? thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, it was an ego thing. Like, um, I wrote a, an op-ed about, uh, bike burst bike habits and in it, I basically summarized it like being underbiked was one of my terrible bike habits. And it, it, I think it all comes down to having like, like a, a poor ego and being like, so-and-so's doing it on this bike. I want to do it on this bike. Do you know what I mean? Or I yeah, want to keep up I to them that. on this bike. That's fair. I I'm think that could help now. on bigger group rides. Yeah. If you're, if you're yeah. riding with, uh, maybe more intermediate riders and they're on bigger bikes and you take your small bike out and then you're kind of all at the same speed. I could, I've, I've done that in the past and had a lot more fun because I'm not, you know, taken off on them. I'm, I'm in the middle of the pack and I'm pushing myself to keep up on a small bike and they're at their limits on a big bike and everybody's having a good time. So I, I, uh, I know where you're coming from there. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, that's, a, yeah. that's a more, uh, that's a nicer way to put it. Cass? <laughs> I've definitely been schooled by people like on littler bikes, like on hardtails. I'd say more in the earlier days, like these Me? days. No, it wasn't you. <laughs> no, it was just like, you know, <laughs> North shore free ride days, but there, I had a buddy that would end up like all of his bikes always broke. And then, so finally he ended up on a hardtail and he rode some moves that still some yeah. of the most impressive riding I've ever seen on a hardtail. You know, obviously it's raining and wet and slippery and steep and gnarly. And then you just watch him and you're like, huh? All right, I can't do that, but he just did it on a hard deal, so I'm humbled for the day. So, yeah, and so if that was you, if that yeah, had been you, been it would, in those situations too. Yeah, it's kind of there is something to be said. I do respect people that kind of go a little different way. I don't think I don't typically do that. I try to have like the right tool for the job, but if someone can pull it off, I do. Silly I do. Silly. Yeah, it's silly, but it's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, since we're talking about bikes, let's let's talk about bike choice. Uh, Matt Beer. You're out shopping for a new bike. You got some money to spend. Give me your top three priorities in order of importance, assuming that it's a decent bike to begin with. So it has decent geo, decent suspension uh, at worst, like all that kind of stuff. What are your top three priorities in a bike? Whoa, that's pretty difficult. I think the first priority would have to be the fit for me. So I'd be looking for geometry that, you know, has the right balance uh, in terms of chainstay to reach and a head angle 
that's going to cater to more aggressive riding. Probably going to be looking at a bike with one, at least a 160 fork and similar numbers out back. And then, yeah, so geometry suspension numbers, those are, we'll, we'll put those as, as one sort of the build. Oh, okay. We'll separate them. Yeah. So, so longer travel, uh, geometry is important. Those two categories. Um, and then third category, third priority. I mean, tires Color? You can change. Cable routing? Cable routing. Frame storage? No, I wouldn't say either. Tire th- clearance? Tire clearance, never an issue. Most tires are like 2.5 these days. They, yeah, never an issue. Not too muddy here, not like UK mud or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, and then in terms of frame material, carbon versus aluminum, I'm or steel even, I'm pretty indifferent to those. I think it's more the overall package of the bike that counts. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't really factor in weight unless it's an absolute bruiser. Uh, a third one, priorities. Uh, suspension, again, but in terms of the kinematics and, and how the bike operates, that's definitely a yeah. pretty critical one for me. Yeah, because I could see a rider like you wanting something different out of their suspension than a rider like me would want. Like coil compatibility, that's not on my want list. I don't care. Whereas you might want that, I, I don't know, or you might want a bike that's more progressive or uses this travel more. I'm not really sure, but I suspect you don't care how well it pedals as long as it pedals decent. Am I correct? Uh, yeah, I've talked about that before in the past as we've reviewed different bikes. And I think the most important factor for pedaling well, from my perspective, it usually comes down to the weight of the wheels. Like most other things you can kind of adjust, like if the bike has a really slack seat tube angle, you can move the seat forward. You can run a little bit more air pressure, use the lockout on the shock, that kind of thing. So there are ways around that. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm not too particular on the climbing aspect. What yeah. would be what would be three of your points that you'd have to nail um, on a personal bike? Well, if it's if it's a good bike to begin with, so the Geo isn't shit, like it's fine. Um, I want a bike that pedals well and makes me feel fitter than I actually am but I I'm not talking it doesn't just I don't want to sacrifice suspension action for like a bike that that pedals really well I've done that in the past and it bites you in the ass you know especially here um so for me I guess the better way to put it it's a super cliched way of saying it everybody take a drink when I say this but a bike with a lot of energy you know what I mean like it doesn't just pedal well, but it also like feels like it has life to it. And like it, you can throw it around on the trail and, and that comes from not just being able to pedal well, but also good geo confidence in the geo. Like one thing that really surprised me, I remember I I've always talked about this, but like the first time I got on that stamina many, many years ago, I didn't think it would be as playful as it was, but the confidence gives you that ability to throw it around so the bike might be heavier and it might be super long and slack who knows whatever the end of the day i just want a bike that's fun to ride and has that energy to it um the other thing for me i want two bottles inside the front triangle like i want to ride my mountain bike for really far and i drink a lot of water and and it seems like a, a, not a big deal, but if everything else is sorted on the bike, it's got good geo and it's got good suspension, 
that's a big one for me. I think that's important. So I, li- I like that you've Kaz, moved. To, I like that you've moved to two bottles now. Like it used to be one, and now pretty much every bike holds one bottle. But now you're onto two bottles. <laughs> Soon yeah. you're gonna be like three. <laughs> it's gonna be good. You're really um, narrowing down. Your I just system. need to get one of those. One of those things where the uh, you put the bottles on your fork. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Priorities. I for also me. heard there's backpacks you can wear that you could carry water, but I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, I've heard that's weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, my priorities, like as far as, I mean, because you said the geometry is already sorted and the suspension, really, it would almost come down to like components to a certain extent. Like, I want good brakes, I want good tires. And then I do like in frame storage. It's not a deal breaker. Like, I'd be fine with a bike without, but I really do like in frame storage these days because now that more companies have it, it's just nice to be able to grab a bike and be like, oh, yeah, this already has a pump and a tube stashed away inside. I don't even have to think about it. I'll be fine. Um, So, yeah, I think that's probably it. Good brakes, good tires and a little bit of storage be things on my list as in my shopping list i guess what about coil or air like i know you're a guy you love to ride that 180 millimeter bike with a switchblade and doing really drops yeah. so like are you specifically you want a bike with coil compatibility no coil compatibility is not as important mullet wheels i do like mixed wheels on bigger bikes so i guess that um yeah i don't know if i was looking for a long travel like a um, I don't know how to travel in 170, 160 and up. Maybe I would be tempted to go mixed wheels, mixed wheel compatibility. At least is kind of nice to have. Um, I think once you settle on it, probably most people aren't switching back and forth, but I will say these days for the longer travel bikes, yeah. I am preferring the the mixed wheel setup. Um, again, it doesn't really like I can hop on a bike with dual 29 inch wheels and it's fine. But I think at least as long as there's one 29 inch mm-hmm. wheel in the mix, I'm good. And then, uh, the back wheel can be whatever it wants, but I think, yeah, I do prefer smaller rear wheel these days. Just, um, I don't know. Makes goofing off a little easier, I find. So, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so this, Matt, you have a question. Sorry, I got one thing to add. If you said geometry and suspension's already sorted, then I might have to change those two things. <laughs> <laughs> Going back would, to Matt. Sorry. It the bike has to be quiet. The quieter the ride, the better you feel like you're riding. The faster you're going to go. Oh, okay. The more the better the experience is going to be. There's such a difference between riding a clacky loud bike and something that's dead silent and has no feedback. And you just, you feel like you're floating. You feel like you're snowboarding or surfing or something. It's yeah. Does that include the rear hub? Do you want a quiet hub as well? Those definitely add to it. Yeah. I would, I would say it's not a huge differentiator for me, but it is nice when, you don't hear anything on the bike. So including the, hub. yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Go, go I'd hop on the quiet bike train too. Yeah. I'm a fan. Like I don't like the clacky loud noises and same with hubs. Like if a I nine Hydra hub comes in for review, I quiet it down right away. Like I just don't like the big loud, um, ratcheting noises. So I make things as quiet as I can. That's definitely on my priority list. Yeah, that is a good one. Hey, I remember years and years ago, I went to a press camp for somebody's new suspension fork. I'm trying to remember who whose it was. It's whatever fork it is, it's long gone now. This was like seven, eight years ago or something like that. And the fork was so loud. Like you could hear the and to the point like all everybody's forks were making this noise. And I guess there was no air in the system. We were told they were just just loud. The damping circuits were just loud. And you could hear it while you were riding. And I remember just being blown away by how annoying it was. And then a few years later, 
they updated this fork with quieter damping circuits or however they set it. And it, yeah, I mean, they, it instantly went away, but it's crazy how much noise can have an effect. It's super annoying. Yeah. I know that you've already heard a little bit about trail forks for me, but it is our final sale of the holidays. And I don't want you to miss out on the 30% off deal. On top of global access to the Trail Forks app, this subscription also comes with Outside Plus. And that means that you get benefits across the entire Outside network. And as a member, you're supporting incredible projects like Pink Bike Racing. If you haven't checked out Season 3 on Outside Watch yet, I highly recommend it. It is my kind of reality TV with 10 mountain bikers competing for $30,000 and a pro contract. Outside Watch also has more than 600 hours of member-only content, including every Warren Miller film ever made. And you get full access with Outside Plus. Now, I know what I'm doing over the holidays. This is our last sale of the holidays, so get it for yourself or gift it to your buddies. And by the way, you don't even need to worry about shipping. Find out more and get 30% off for a limited time at trailforks.com podcast. Couple more questions before we get out of here. I actually, Kaz, Pinkbike has been down for uh, some hours now. I actually wrote this next question a couple days ago before Pinkbike was down. So, Kazmer, you wake up on a sunny, I manifested this. You wake up on a sunny summer Monday morning to find that someone has unplugged the internet. Someone forgot to back up Pinkbike, Kaz. It's not on the pink cloud. It's gone forever. So you have all day to do whatever kind of ride you want to do. Kaz, what kind of ride are you going to make your priority? What trail? How long is it? What does the trail look like? Take it away. Yeah, I'd say my ideal kind of like summer-ish ride is maybe three to five hours long um, with a good amount of like really hard descents, but some good climbs in it as well. Like the climbs can be a mix of single track or fire roads, but it's kind of more about getting to these different good descending oriented trails. Um, yeah. Just cover some terrain. That would kind of be it. Yeah. Like a focus on yeah, just covering some ground and having some good, hard, hard fun downhill trails in the mix. That'd be my ideal ride. Kind of always is my ideal yeah. ride. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like Casimir's patented bicycle ride. Mm-hmm. Matthew. Ideal mountain bike trail. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, or your ride. Like, are you going to head ride. out for an epic or are you going for a day in the bike park? A shuttle day with the with the buddies? What is it? Yeah, I kind of like Coast those. Bike park? I don't know. I like, the, I like the mix. So, yeah, big elevation, bit of an adventure, some rowdy rock faces. Maybe starts with, like, a bit of an alpine view and stuff like that. So, definitely some good ones around Squamish, Whistler that, that cater to that. And then you kind of get deeper into, like, old growth, you know, big roots and steep shoots and lower down it kind of flattens out with maybe some jumps and turns and a couple high fives in the parking lot and call it a day what bike you riding uh probably yeah big 170 160 ish enduro bike yeah 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 okay okay (laughs) i think uh i think mine would have to be similar to kaz's i'd probably be on a, a lighter duty bike um, but it would be a big, long climb up into the Alpine. I've never been before. Some great descent back down. And then probably the same thing again, but something different. So I don't know. Something big and long. Um, 
with lots of climbing. I want to, when I get home, I want to feel like I did something and like I shouldn't be able to stand up for a few hours. So, um, what about riding skills? Just before we close this out, uh, Kaz, I know you're out there working on your skinnies all the time, but what riding skill would you prioritize right now? What would you get better at? Um, you know, I don't know. Like I'm pretty well-rounded, but I do like to, I don't really have something that I'm trying to get better at, but I want to maintain, like, I don't want to lose my skills basically. So I don't want to like not be able to hit most ish jumps, you know, like I can't hit the biggest jumps out there, but like pretty solid same with like, yeah, drops and things. I just want to stay like, I don't want to feel like I'm going backwards. Basically. I feel like I've reached a good point over the last, like, you know, last decade of riding has been like. I feel like I'm maintaining where I've been at, but I don't want to go backwards. So that'd be more my priority. So that's why I got to keep riding skinnies so I don't forget how to ride yep. them. It's <laughs> a mistake I made. Matt, what about you? What is your what is your riding priority skill wise, or maybe it's fitness? Priority to improve upon is always turns, and more so the ones that are sort of flatter and banked. You know, you get like smooth bike park not berms, but like, not like big bowl corners, but like sort of the flatter ones. I think like transitioning back and forth between those and nailing your braking points. So you're not riding the brakes through the turns and all that stuff. Like I still feel like there are a lot of fast riders that execute those much better than I do. And I'm always trying to think about braking and getting off the brakes and trusting the tires and leaning the bike in and yeah, can never really get better at those. And sometimes it's just ingrained into you that you know, you need to go practice your, your cone, cone turns and cone skills. And yeah, right. I'd like to be able to do that better. I don't want you to get any better at cornering that. <laughs> you yeah. just, you could just stay <laughs> yeah. as good as you are. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to catch up to you and like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> well, just stop. yeah. Kaz, Kaz handed my ass to me when we rode, uh, Chuck nuts, like same, those exact kind of features, like just these, banked flat smooth turns where you're kind of like looking around the corner and i couldn't keep him in sight I, you know yeah his local maybe so many but like, yeah you've schooled me so many times since uh, <laughs> you're definitely faster than me i don't want anyone to think it's that all good i'm as fast as you <laughs> but yeah there's always i mean that's a cool I thing i was about, trying and i couldn't <laughs> keep up to you yeah, so. i'll take it <laughs> i think that's one of the reasons that biking is still so fun like all of us have been riding for you know 20 plus years now and i still yeah. get excited to go ride like because you are getting a little bit better at something and you do hit that corner perfect or something links up the way you want. So it's almost like you can't reach perfection in mountain biking. So that's why it's such a cool sport because you can always get better at something and then it makes you want to keep doing it. Like if I felt like oh, I figured it all out, I might be pretty bored. You know, if it seemed like it's, if I'd solved mountain biking, I'd be like, I'm done, but I definitely have not solved mountain biking, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would agree. Okay. Let's uh, wrap this up with comment gold and get on out of here. So this comment was under the press release for Abbey Bike Tools 10th anniversary toolkit. It's made out of titanium. It costs a lot of money. It comes in a walnut box. Uh, so Daniel Floyd says, does it come with an extra box for the tool who buys it? Which is kind of mean but these are really expensive tools guys it's 600, 650 bucks for uh titanium three titanium things or 300 bucks for the two titanium things i think it's a super neat thing personally but i mean it's more of a a special thing it's probably not for most pinkers so they were going to get roasted for sure 
Um, all right. That is it for this episode. Whatever number it is, post your mountain bike priorities in the comments below and why you have them. Is it downcountry for life, Casimir, or is it only downhill bikes? Is it fun or is it fitness, spending time at the jumps, or is it on the trainer? However you do it and why you think you do it like that. Tell us in the comments below and we'll probably see you next week. See you later. <laughs>